good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Eurofolk Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It is Thursday, January 27th, 2022, in this year of COVIDiacy. And we're going to sally on and forth and forward and whatever else and uh, just uh, see what this year brings. Only got a couple of days left in January, and my goodness, it's not shaping up very well, I think. Anyway, welcome, and I just want to say and check out the websites, yourdiyhealth.com and the sister site, yourdiywealth.com. And uh, nothing we say in the show should be construed as an attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any kind of a health or wealth situation, but... Uh, Use this jumping off point so you can do your own due diligence and research and all that good stuff. And uh, you might be surprised what you find out. Anyway, we are going to jump right into our show today with uh, Mike Gaddy. And Michael, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing quite well, Jim. I hope you are. I am doing just fantastic. <laughs> Can't complain a bit. Wouldn't make any difference if, it, if, it, if I did, so why bother? Might as well be good at attitude about it. So, uh... Let's see here. We're going to be talking about the founders, and if I remember right, I don't have my notes in front of me, but uh, it was a couple of the guys that came to the uh, convention and then apparently left for some reason, and we're going to find out why today. So I'll let you uh, pick up and go from there. Well, thanks, Jim. Uh, What I have sought to do, uh, especially over the past, uh, say, four or five years, is to bring to uh, those who cared enough to listen, to bring forth the people in history that we should really know so much more about, but we don't. And that is intentional. That is not accidental. You know, I was thinking earlier, uh, during my uh, educational career at the hands of the public school system and then advanced uh, into academia uh, on the college level, I was thinking, number one, of Patrick Henry. And I remember, I do not remember being taught anything about anything Patrick Henry said before, give me liberty or give me death. And I do not recall being taught very much, if anything, about what he said after he said, give me liberty or give me death. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And in my search through history and search through source documents and uh, archives at several major universities. I found names, Jim, that to me 20, 30 years ago were just total new. I, I had never heard of these people. And that is a, again, by design. But I remember also of, you know, who are the ones that we are taught about? Oh, yeah, the regulars, you know, Franklin, Jefferson, Madison, Hamilton, of all people, and, of course, Jungle George. You know, those are uh, the biggies. The ones who supported yeah. this government. Yeah. We aren't taught about the ones who didn't support this government. And one of my um, things that was really surprising to me is delving into who attended the Constitutional Convention. And the day-to-day activities at that Constitutional Convention. And I thought, there's a reason that a great majority of people say, I don't like history. It bores me to death. 
Well, that's because the same lie told over and over and over again becomes boring and redundant. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about the people who, who opposed what we have. And ironically, in 1785-1787, it amazed me that the state of New York, more than the state of Virginia, had people who wanted liberty. The people who saw through what was happening. As I said, even more than Virginia, which is surprising. And today, uh, New York elected three members to the Constitutional Convention. And so we're going to get, uh, I want to get into that and who those delegates were and why they were selected. And, you know, we look at it and we go, wow, uh, New York only had three delegates, but Pennsylvania had eight. Some states had even more than that. Why did New York only have three? Well, that was intentional, and this is something else we're not taught. <clears throat> Pardon me. What uh, the people who really cherished liberty in New York, what they feared was the politics of Alexander Hamilton. And Hamilton went before the legislature and pleaded, and he tried all kind of efforts to get people of like mind to him to be delegates to the Constitutional Convention because he wanted as much support as he could get. Yet Governor George Clinton and many of the other people in New York who saw what was coming with this convention, and they knew Alexander Hamilton because he lived there. They knew the politics of Alexander Hamilton, and they wanted to oppose Alexander Hamilton as much as possible. One delegate that Alexander Hamilton fought very hard to get to the Constitutional Convention as a delegate from New York was John Jay. The ultra monarchist. He wanted him there so bad. And if you go back and look at the day to day uh, dealings of the legislature of New York in selecting candidates, the legislature wanted to prevent Alexander Hamilton from having a majority at the convention, and they wanted to prevent him even having an equality at the convention. So they decided they would elect two people who were totally opposite of Alexander Hamilton, and they would send only three. That way they knew that Hamilton would not be the majority at the convention. Now, Jim, how many times, at least for the state of New York, Jim, how many times have you ever been taught that? I think today would be number one. <laughs> <laughs> might so, have heard it once before on one of these shows but never in school so they wanted they the people of new york wanted to make sure there was no way because of his influence you have to remember that hamilton's father-in-law philip Schuyler, owned more land than anyone else in the state of new york he was extremely wealthy but the people who were standing up for liberty and what was right wanted to, they knew they couldn't stop him from being elected a delegate. There was just too much money, too much influence. So the people of New York or the legislature of New York did the only thing they could do 
to make sure that Hamilton's voice was at least restricted as much as possible and could be over, and could be outvoted in the state of New York. Hamilton was very upset at this. If you read his letters, you will find out he was terribly upset. He made a last-ditch effort to get John Jay in as a delegate just to even it up, which failed as well. And so the three delegates, of course, were Alexander Hamilton, Robert Yates, and John Lansing, Jr. Well, John Lansing, Jr. and Robert Yates would eventually both be on the New York Supreme Court. And people, they were not paupers. These people were men of means. They had wealth. But they still had character. And so those three delegates are off to Pennsylvania, off to Philadelphia to represent the state of New York. Well, through the first part, of course, the delegates from Virginia presented the Virginia plan on the first day of the Constitutional Convention. They presented their plan. And I think it's, it's relevant to know that the Virginia legislation got to Philadelphia a week early. And many of those delegates stayed at the home of Robert Morris of Philadelphia. <laughs> that is extremely relevant. I believe yeah. that for the week prior, I believe they laid out exactly what they wanted to accomplish at the Constitutional Convention. And they had no intention, absolutely zero intention of doing what they were authorized to do at this convention. And we'll get into that because that's covered in what Lansing and Yates had to say afterwards. But contrary to what, you know, we're taught, we're taught uh, in most instances, or at least the inference was, Jim, that all of these delegates got to uh, Philadelphia in May of 1787. They were all inspired by God and they were all good friends and they all knew what was best for America. And they came up with this wonderful document called the Constitution. Well, how many times can you repeat that lie over and over and over again until the people get tired of it? Because that's not what happened. But it's also of extreme relevance to know, Jim, that when of the delegates, the 59 delegates, there were 74 selected, 59 ended up being there. The others did not attend for whatever reason. Of course, we know that Patrick Henry said he smelled a rat leaning toward a monarchy, so he didn't go. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Pardon me. Richard Henry Lee of Virginia also did not go. He didn't, he didn't write down anywhere why he didn't go, but he didn't go. Now, there were other delegates, as I said, that didn't attend, and we would uh, want to know why, I'm sure. So, uh, but it's not available. So we don't know why they just, even though they were selected by their state legislators, chose not to attend. But once they were there, and here is something that is very critical, Jim, is that even among the anti-federalists who were in attendance at the Constitutional Convention, none of them were what we would call today the middle or the lower class. 
Even the anti-federalists who were at the Constitutional Convention were members of the wealthy aristocracy. And probably the greatest example of that would be George Mason. George Mason was one of the richest men in the state of Virginia in 1787. His plantation was right beside uh, Mount Vernon. He was very, very wealthy. But in the end, he showed the character of a real man by saying in the end I, he, that he would rather chop off his right arm than sign the Constitution. The others who opposed it, Elbridge Gary, who wouldn't sign, he was also a wealthy man. There, the middle class America of 1787 and the poorer class of America of 1787 were not represented at, at the Constitutional Convention by either side. Only the wealthy and the well-born were at the Constitutional Convention. The only member who wasn't independently wealthy and who had any debt whatsoever was John Francis Mercer, a Virginian who had moved to Maryland. And he was elected as a delegate and he attended, but he left the convention also. But the only explanation that we have for why John Francis Mercer left was a letter that he sent to fellow delegate Luther Martin later where he said that he was uh, disappointed, he was upset, and that he believed of the 39 members, or of the 55, I'm sorry, of the 55 members, who 59 members who were there initially, over 20 of them were pure monarchists. They wanted a monarchy. They didn't want a, a federation. They didn't want a democracy. They wanted a, uh, a monopoly. Yeah. A monarchy. And when are we ever taught this, Jim? We're, we're not taught this in any school. We're not taught anything about it. And I promise you, if you went today into almost any major university in America and asked them, okay, well, what can you tell me about Robert Yates and John Lansing Jr.? <laughs> they would probably tell you, well, number one, Robert Yates was a car owner in NASCAR. <laughs> Oh, boy. Because there was a guy named Robert Yates who had a racing team in NASCAR for years. And I promise you, more Americans would know about that Robert Yates than would yeah. know about the Robert Yates at the Constitutional Convention. Yep. Now, Robert Yates would go on to be the Chief Justice of the New York Supreme Court. And he allegedly, it's hard to prove exactly, but he allegedly wrote as the anti-federalist Brutus. Of course, that has been questioned on several fronts, so let me stipulate that. I'm not going to say Robert Yates was Brutus. He was, there are people who said he was, and there are people who said he wasn't. But regardless, Robert Yates passed away in 1801 the year after, or actually the year that Jefferson took office. But he had been the Chief Justice of the New York Supreme Court. John Lansing Jr., a very wealthy attorney from the city of Albany, New York, was the third delegate. And John Lansing Jr. Uh, was very much, uh, very active 
especially in June and July of the Constitutional Convention, which we will discuss. He was very, very active then. But John Lansing Jr. and Robert Yates left the convention in disgust in July of 1787. Now, what had happened to lead them to leave in disgust? Well, one of the things we know is that starting in mid to late June, a huge controversy occurred at the Constitutional Convention. The Nationalists, led by James Madison, George Washington, uh, Gouverneur Morris, Alexander Hamilton, and James Wilson, wanted both houses of Congress to be elected by population. They did not want each state to have a vote as they had in the Articles of Confederation. They did not want the senators to be selected by the state legislators. They wanted the senators to be elected by popular vote. And they knew, and Luther Martin spoke to this, they knew that if they got their way, that those that the entire country at that time of 13 states would be controlled by the three states with the largest population because they would have the most representatives in Congress. And they knew that. And the three states were Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Massachusetts. Hmm. And they didn't care. If you read the arguments and the battles that took place from mid-June to uh, July which I have included, Jim, at my uh, Telegram sites. I have put in there the day-to-day as much as possible, the actual arguments, the controversies, the things that took place from June to July. So finally, and we have to remember that on June the 18th of 1787, Alexander Hamilton became quite disgusted with the soft peddling as he saw it by the nationalist monarchist. And he stood up on June the 18th, spoke for seven hours and constantly proposed a monarchy. He wanted a full on monarchy where the people didn't elect anybody from either from Congress or anywhere else. Everything would be appointed by the governor president. And that when uh, when Madison said, I think uh, Hamilton let the cat out of the bag. Yes, when he finished, Madison said to James, well, he said it's recorded in the uh, minutes of the Constitutional Convention, although for some reason Madison left it out of his minutes that he recorded. <laughs> Imagine but that. Robert, but Robert Yates recorded it, and others recorded the fact that Madison said, well, as usual, Hamilton has let the cat out of the bag. So that is, and then if you look at what, how just out, totally out of character Madison became, Madison was absolutely infuriated that each state would have equal representation in the Senate. Madison went on a tirade. He was completely ticked off that this was going to happen. And yet we call him the father of the Constitution, right? Well, 
Sounds like he was. It's just the Constitution ain't what we think it is. Well, and that is one of the greatest deceptions in the history of mankind, Jim. And I, I totally believe that. But yeah, I'm you inclined know, to agree. After the huge battle about and uh, both Robert Yates and John Lansing Jr. After they saw Jim, what was happening? After they saw this, they said, you know, gosh, guys, we're headed home. We can no longer participate in this. And in doing so, thank God for this. In doing so, they left a record. They sent a letter to the governor of New York. And his name was George Clinton. No relation to Bill and Hillary. Praise the Lord. Yes. And so Governor Clinton, now I have to say that before the whole thing was over with, with the ratification convention, Clinton sold out to the Federalists. And people of wealth will always sell out their ideals for more wealth. That's an axiom. Almost two, you know, probably a better than 99% percentile of that will happen. And it happened with Clinton. But we're let's go back to this time. So here, Yates and Lansing write a letter to the governor. Now, I'm going to read that in its entirety. It's not all that long, but it is critically important to understand what was happening. And in that letter, they said the following, and I quote, Sir, we do ourselves the honor to advise your excellency that in pursuance to concurrent resolutions of the Honorable Senate and Assembly of New York, we have, together with Mr. Hamilton, attended the convention appointed for revising the Articles of Confederation and reporting amendments to the same. It is with the serious concern we observe that, in the prosecution of the important objects of our mission, we have been reduced to the disagreeable alternative of either exceeding the powers delegated to us and giving assent to measures which we conceive destructive to the political happiness of the citizens of the United States or opposing our opinions to that of a body of respectable men to whom those citizens had given the most unequivocal proofs of confidence." Now, I just want to break that, uh, that part, break, break it down a little bit. So, Yates and Lansing, two wealthy men, both attorneys, both eventually on the New York Supreme Court, with Yates being the chief justice, said that in the prosecution of the important objects of our mission to the Constitution, we have been reduced to the disagreeable alternative of either exceeding the powers delegated to us and giving assent to measures which we conceive destructive to the political happiness of the citizens of the United States, or opposing our opinions to that of a body of respectable men to whom those citizens had given the most unequivocal proofs of confidence. So what Ray, Yates and Lansing are saying here is we, we, it boiled down to us having to make a choice. We could exceed the powers that the people delegated to us. Wow, imagine people with that kind of morality today. They said we could either we could either do that or we could 
use our opposition to a body of respectable men, and they were talking about Washington and Franklin. So then they proceeded. They said, thus circumstanced, under these impressions, to have hesitated would have been to be culpable. We therefore gave the principles of the Constitution, which has received the sanction of a majority of the convention, our decided and unreserved dissent. But we must candidly confess that we should have been equally opposed to any system, however modified, which had an object the consolidation of the United States into one government. That, Jim, that, I tell you what, it just makes my heart feel good that there were men back then who said, no matter what you decided to do, we were not going to allow the states to be destroyed and turned into nothing. Yeah, and the, on the same hand, that's exactly why in this day and age we don't want another constitutional convention because there are no people around that would have the chance of being appointed as delegates that would have that kind of character. Well, they would just go in and take over like the last bunch did. Spot on, Jim. You're spot on directly because we know that if they said, okay, we're going to have a new constitutional convention, which has been called for by both sides, conservative and liberal, both sides have called for this. So if we, who would the delegates be? It's not going to, again, it would be the wealthy and the well-born. There would be no middle-class Americans or lower-class Americans represented. Exactly. This would be, if they had another convention, it would be for the wealthy and the well-born, just like the first one. Mm -hmm. Of the socialists, by the socialists, and for the socialists. For the socialists, (laughs) right. Exactly. So, uh, then, to continue with their letter, Jim, Mm -hmm. it says, we beg leave, briefly, to state some cogent reasons which, among others, influenced us to decide against a consolidation of the states. These are reducible to two heads. One, the limited and well-defined powers under which we acted and which could not, on any possible construction, embrace the idea of such magnitude as to assent to a general constitution in subversion of that of the states. Damn, let me read that again. The limited and well-defined powers under which we acted, and they are referring to all the delegates at the convention, all were sent there with the same directive. The limited and well-defined powers under which we acted and which could not, pardon me, on any possible construction, excuse me again, embrace an idea of such magnitude as to assent to a general constitution in subversion to that of the states. Wow. There, people are men of integrity. That's why you don't know anything about them. That's why you're not taught about them. But then, what did they state further? Number two, a conviction of the impracticability of establishing a general government 
pervading every part of the United States and extending essential benefits to all. Wow. <laughs> and there were 13 states back then, and uh, we have 57 today if you believe Obama. <laughs> oh, man. So then they go into further detail, Jim, which is absolute historical gold. They say, our powers were explicit and confined to the sole and express purpose of revising the Articles of Confederation and reporting such alterations and provisions therein as should render the federal constitution adequate to the exigencies of government and the preservation of the Union. From these expressions, we were led to believe that a system of consolidated government could not, in the remotest degree, have been in contemplation of the legislature of this state, for that so important a trust as the adopting measures which tended to deprive the state government of its most essential rights of sovereignty, and to place it in a dependent situation, could not have been confided by implication and the circumstance that the acts of the convention were to receive a state approbation in the last resort forcibly corroborated the opinion that our powers could not involve the subversion of a constitution which, being immediately derived from the people, they're talking about the Articles of Confederation here, people, could only be abolished by their express consent and not by any legislature possessing authority vested in them for its very preservation. Nor could we suppose that, if it had been the intention of the legislature to abrogate the existing confederation, they would, in some pointed terms, have directed the attention of their delegates to the revision and amendment of it in total exclusion of every other idea. Reasoning in this manner, we were of the opinion that the leading feature of every amendment ought to be the preservation of the individual states in their uncontrolled constitutional rights, and that in reserving these, a mode might have been devised for granting to the Confederacy the monies arising from the general system of revenue, the power of regulating commerce and enforcing the observance of foreign treaties, and other necessary matters of less moment. Here they cover it. They felt that was the only powers that should be given to the federal government. And the powers should not be of the states and the constitutions of the states could not be destroyed by the new constitution. Exclusive of our objections originating from the want of power, we entertain an opinion that a general government, however guarded by any declaration of rights or any cautionary provisions, must unavoidably in a short time be productive of the destruction of the civil liberty of such citizens who could be effectually coerced by it by reason of the extensive territory of the United States, the dispersed situation of its inhabitants, and the insuperable difficulty of controlling or counteracting the views of a set of men, however unconstitutional and oppressive their acts might be, 
possessed of all of the powers of government, and who, from their remoteness from their constituents and necessary permanency of office, could not be supposed to be uniformly actuated by an attention to their welfare and happiness. That, however wise and energetic the principles of the general government might be, the extremities of the United States could not be kept in due submission and obedience to its laws at the distance of many hundreds of miles from the seat of government, that if the general legislature was co composed of so numerous a body of men as to represent the interest of all of the inhabitants of the United States, in the usual and true ideas of representation, the expense of supporting it would become intolerably burdensome, and that if a few only were vested with the power of legislation, the interest of the great majority of the inhabitants of the United States would be unknown, or if known, even in the first stages of the operation of new government, totally unattended to. These reasons were, in our opinion, conclusive against any system of consolidated government. To that recommended by the convention, we suppose most of them very forcibly apply. It is not our, our intention to pursue this subject farther than merely to explain our conduct in the discharge of the trust which the honorable, the legislature, reposed in us. Interested, however, as we are in common with our fellow citizens, in the result, we cannot forbear to declare that we have the strongest apprehensions that a government so organized as that recommended by this convention cannot afford that security to equal and permanent liberty which we wish to make an invariable object of our pursuit. We were not present at the completion of the new constitution, but before we left the convention, its principles were so well established as to convince us that no alteration was to be expected to conform it to our ideas of expediency and safety. A persuasion that our further attendance would be fruitless and unavailing rendered us less solicitous to return. We have thus explained our motives for opposing the adoption of the national constitution, which we conceive it our duty to communicate to your excellency and to be submitted to the consideration of the Honorable Legislature of New York. We have the honor to be, with the greatest respect, Your Excellency's most obedient and very humble servants, Robert Yates, John Lansing, Jr. Thoughts, Jim? Powerful. They covered all the bases, and out of all the people that were there, <laughs> two of them said, nope. Not so much. Well, of course, you got George Mason and was it Richard Henry Lee, I think, that uh, refused to sign? They were there no, but refused. It was Edmund go? Randolph and Elbridge Gary. They had That's three, right, yeah. but then Edmund Randolph was bought off by the Federalist in Virginia, Washington especially, because they offered him uh, the position of the first U.S. Attorney General if he would support the Constitution. Good grief. Everybody's got a price, it seems, even back then. Well, that's the thing. Know, I mean, this is history that nobody ever dreamt of. You know, everybody's always been taught that uh, we had a bunch of great, great, great godly inspired men that went to Washington and risked life and limb to, you know, or not Washington, but uh, Philadelphia, 
to draft this constitution and it was just a beautiful thing and it's the greatest thing since sliced bread and nothing could be further from the truth and generations of americans have been told a lie over this stuff and most of them when you try and tell them now they just stick their head in the sand and don't want to hear anything different they can't believe that oh this isn't you know we're the greatest country on earth and we have the greatest constitution on earth and so on and so forth. You know, we've been living a lie. It's heartbreaking. No, I couldn't agree more, Jim, but, uh, but it is you know, liberating I, when you start to find out the truth, if you truly want to hear it. That is true. And, uh, what, uh, what does the good book say about the truth, Jim? It is the truth and it stands by itself. And it will set you free. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And uh, is it, Jim, is it any less egregious to be enslaved physically or to be enslaved mentally? Well, if you're enslaved mentally, it's a whole lot easier to enslave you physically. Because, you know, and that's one of the big problems we have today. The the people, 99% of the people living in America right now, with the exception of a few people that somehow slipped through the cracks and got a little education, and oddly enough, people that came here from other countries and became naturalized citizens, <laughs> everybody else is fully asleep and totally hoodwinked as to what's going on. They're dumbed down and brain-dead and spoon-fed, as I said, years and years ago. They don't have a clue what's going on, and they really don't want to. They're just walking around like zombies, you know, living dead. And then there's a few of us who really know what's going on, and just when they see what's going on in today's life and today's world, we just shake our head and say, how did we get here? And more importantly, how do we get out of here? You know, it, it's... And I don't know that there's really an answer. You know, short of, you know, general civil disobedience at this point, you know, with all the stuff that's going on with this COVID and everything else, I mean, it applies so easily because, you know, the American people have been brainwashed on virtually everything that we've been taught in schools for so many years that this is just one more thing. You know, they keep doing the same thing over and over because it works. Yeah, Lisa says we're raised on well water. We're the ones that I wasn't. I was raised on city water, but I live in. The, I've been living in the country for the last twenty six years, so that's helped. <laughs> and I've been on well water all that time, and more. All that goes through a filter as well. Um, but yeah, the the people that are in the cities with uh, fluoride and chlorine and all the other crap and all the drugs that are in there that you know just get flushed down the toilet and come out your tap eight hours later. Uh, no wonder we're so screwed up. It's just, it, it can be overwhelming. You know, it, it, there's times when I just got to throw my hands up in the air and walk away for a while <laughs> because it's, it just is so, uh, it, it can be depressing. I mean, literally, if, if you didn't, you know, I don't know someone who's not a Christian who's truly saved and washed in the blood uh, I don't know how, if you didn't have that thing to rely on, how you could get through the rest. 
because this this whole earthly existence right now and, and with very little um, quality uh, future other than the afterlife um, I don't know how some people can manage to get through and a lot of them don't you know we've had more and more suicides in the last couple of years than we've ever had before uh, that tells you something and it's just a culmination of all the years of dumbing down to where now they basically can um, just you know whatever Fauci dreams up today okay we're gonna we're gonna walk on you know jump up and down on one foot uh, stick our thumb left thumb up our butt and that'll protect us <laughs> okay that's what we got to do and don't forget to wear your face double your your mask tripled up um, it seems like nobody questions anything they just willingly comply with whatever is out there and uh, I think uh, DW is so much for the it's amazing how that guy just comes up with statements out of the clear blue uh, the one that I love is, you know, you cannot comply your way out of, uh, out of tyranny. And, uh, D, uh, Brent told me another one that he had re kind of refined it yesterday and <laughs> I'd have to play it back cause I can't remember what it was, but it was equally as good. And, uh, you know, that's, what's really sad is there are so few people that really want to know if, if, you know, if I walk up to, you know, do one of those guy on the street uh, interview things, if I told you that, you know, everything you learned in history about the this country and its founding was a total lie, would you want to know the truth? No. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of thing, especially you go out on the left coast, that's what you'd come run into. Or you're crazy. Everything we learned in school was true. They wouldn't tell us a lie. Yeah, right. Well, Jim, that uh -huh. is so true. What is the guy out in uh, uh, California who does that frequently? Mark yeah, Dice? Um, uh, Mark Dice. I love watching his stuff. <laughs> and some of the things are the most outlandish. You know, like when he said the, the Clinton boys were recently went hunting and killed a triceratops. What do you think of that? Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> you know, the level of intelligence or lack thereof, in, you know, even college-educated people in this day and age is just astounding. And it, 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 although it does a good job of telling you why we are where we are now. But, uh, yeah. Well, Jim, <laughs> one of those I remember, even uh, I, I've uh, watched those Mark Dice, it, it just, uh, you know, freezes my heart sometimes mm -hmm. to watch those. But, you know, uh, Jay Leno, when he was still on TV, he went to a graduation ceremony, which he recorded at UCLA. Mm. <laughs> and there was a lady, lady comes off of the uh, podium with her master's degree. And uh, Jay Leno says, uh, would you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? And uh, she says, no, not at all. And he says, well, he said, you just got a master's degree. What are your plans for the future? And she said, oh, I already have a job. I'll be teaching. And she named some college in uh, California, not one of the major ones, but uh, a college. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'll be teaching at this college. And so uh, Jay Leno said, well, would you mind if I ask you a couple of questions because you just got your degree and this right now, you're the smartest you've ever been in your entire life, the most educated. Just a couple of questions. She said, sure. <laughs> and he said, OK, number one, how many moons does the Earth have? And she said, three. 
<laughs> and Jay Leno says, really? And she says, yes, we studied that in our astrology class. <laughs> and, you know, and, and you know, it, you could you could look at Jay Leno's face in that. And I have that YouTube from oh, way back man. when man. he was just he was stunned. And then he said, OK, here. I want to ask you another question. Who invented the light bulb? And she said, oh, that is easy. Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> and he said, you mean Thomas Edison? She said, no, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson invented the light bulb. Now, the import of that, Jim, is here was a woman who had just graduated. It could have been a man. I'm not picking on the women. But here was a woman who had just graduated with a master's degree from UCLA, and she thought that the Earth had three moons and Thomas Jefferson invented the light bulb. But the tragedy of this was she had a job teaching at another college. God help us. Oh, man. And we wonder and we wonder why our children can't make change. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I go to a drive-through window every once in a while, and I just I do it on purpose. You know, if it's it's six dollars and fifty-two cents, I'll give them ten fifty-two and see what they give me back and how long it takes. And it's very seldom they get it right. <laughs> it's amazing to watch, but um, and then you know I I did this recently. It was uh, what I heard and what they apparently said was off by ten cents, which really threw things into a, in a tizzy. And, um, of course, you know, I, I said, why don't you guys take those face diapers off so we can understand what you're saying, you know. He's back there in his little cubicle all by himself taking orders and giving people stuff, and he's wearing a face diaper. And I said, get those things off so people can understand what you're saying. Uh, you know, it's just amazing the level of, or the lack of intelligence. Um, but... Well, Jim, being the uh, contradictory character that I am, I, <clears throat> pardon me, I was traveling to Iowa to uh, help my son uh, when his uh, daughter was uh, undergoing brain surgery back in May and June of last year. And I went up to help with the family, stay with the family as much as I could. And on the way up, I stopped at a service station. And I filled up with fuel and I went in and I decided I was going to buy myself, a, you know, a, a cupcake or a something. Anyway, I, mm -hmm. I don't remember what it was. But I go up to the checkout and there's obviously a young lady standing there, <clears throat> pardon me, with a mask on. And I said, young lady, do you realize that that thing you've got on your face keeps people from seeing and knowing just how truly beautiful you are. And, and she pulled the mask down, and she was probably 19, 20 years old, and she said, thank you, and then put the mask back on. <laughs> oh, man. So I walked back out to my car going, yeah, we're screwed. Yep. You know, just when you have a little hope, somebody comes along and dashes it. <laughs> oh, man. That's just, 
You run into well, that stuff all the time, though. They're out there. They're reproducing and they're voting <laughs> and all that good stuff. But, man, it's just so sad. Well, and it is, Jim. Every generation, it gets <clears throat> worse. Well, it's going to continue to get worse because oh, we, yeah. pay, we pay, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I remember uh, about my talking with my grandfather and who was a source of unlimited intelligence for me when I was younger. But I remember talking to him and we were talking about a member of our family who uh, uh, had had several children, I think six or seven children. And we were to a family reunion. And I'll never forget my grandfather looking at our cousin who was the female of the family. And he my grandfather said, uh, hey, uh, nice to see you're having all these children. And she says, yeah, we really love them. And my grandfather said, you do know what causes that, right? <laughs> and we were on the way home and we were talking about it. And he said, you know, he said, back when I was young, people had children because they couldn't avoid to hire help. He said, I know that sounds crass, but he said that was true. He said, look mm -hmm. at my family. He said, look at my family. We had 14 kids. And he said they were stepping stones, each one about a year apart. Yep. And he said, but now, and this was one of the most profound things I ever heard my grandfather say. He said, now people have children for pets. Sure seems like it. And he said, when they quit being cute puppies, they want to send them off to somebody else to take care of. Yeah. And the and the public school system is destroying them, and they are paying the destroyers to destroy their children. Yep. And I look at parents in this day and age, they have little kids especially little girls, they've got to, uh, more than it used to be, they have to decorate them. Not just oh, yeah. dress them up, but they got to be decorated. they got these little straps around their head with these huge bows that are bigger than the head. It's like, what's going on? And then I see someone who's got a, a child, a daughter, who's less than a year old, and they've got their ears pierced. Oh, Isn't that something that the child should be able to decide if they want to have down the road? But the parents are doing all these things to them just to dress them up and to make them look so pretty and all this. Give me a break. It's, the pets, Jim. Yeah, it is, you're exactly right. And you got doggy daycare, you got daughter daycare. <laughs> um, you know, we have pets for pets, you know. You know, I had a, a a missionary from India staying or visiting us one time. And uh, the next night at church when he was giving his presentation, he made the statement because at the time we had like four or five dogs. <laughs> and he was astounded that one family would have so many <laughs> and pretty much not have eaten them yet. <laughs> oh, man. It was, you know, the, basically that the dogs in America live better than the than human beings in other countries. And he's right, 100% right. Um, 
our dogs aren't spoiled. They'd have to come down several levels to be just spoiled, you know, thanks to my wife mainly. But, um, <clears throat> oh, yeah, I'm sure it's her fault. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like I said, mainly. Yeah, there's a, de- there's a defining term there. Yeah. And <laughs> Lisa says, we love our fur babies. Exactly. But, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, I used to, uh, with the horses, I used to do survival seminars and I used to joke about having a 55 gallon drum of A1 sauce just in case things got really bad. And somebody ratted me out and told my wife, and oh boy, did I get a chewing out and a look and all that good stuff. And, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of cold shoulders. <laughs> uh, some people just can't take a joke. But, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I would imagine they'd be considered pretty good eating them. <laughs> Might be a little tough at this age, but oh well. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where people in this country are so spoiled. And we have no idea where we came from, what people went through to get us here. Uh, you know, and again, those are the little guys, the unsung heroes that you never hear about. And all you hear about is the lies about the so-called founders. And it's just disheartening and disgusting. Heaven forbid anybody should ever learn their true history. Well, Jim, if you look at the actual, and again, I'm trying to present these, put these on my uh, channels as much as possible, Teach Me True History, Rebel Madman, and uh, Constitutional Fraud, I'm trying to put the day-to-day activities at the Constitutional Convention up for people to read because I don't know of anywhere else you can find it. Really? Because it's not going to be discussed, and when you see what James Madison actually said, when you see what Gouverneur Morris actually said, James Wilson and Alexander Hamilton, when you see what they actually said, Mm -hmm. Gouverneur Morris said, we don't know what the people think and why should we care? Yeah, who cares? They're idiots. And do you think it's any different with the people in Congress today? Oh, it's a hundred times worse. We We don't know what they think and why should we care? And the only thing that matters is what we think, because we know best. We're the intelligentsia. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, we are the wealthy and the well-born. Mm-hmm. And as uh, uh, George Washington said to John Jay, we have the right to impose our imperial dignity and command obedience. Think about mandates, people. You know, I saw a thing years ago, I can't even remember who put it together, but it was called um, A More Perfect Union. And it was supposedly a thing that, you know, a little video that somebody put together about the, you know, the Constitutional Convention and all this junk. And the one thing that really stood out was one time where some guy, some, you know, basic you know, obviously not a well-born and well-dressed because, you know, he was he was like Patrick Henry, you know, showing up uh, in just, you know, homespun clothing kind of thing. And he was introduced to George Washington. And I think he either extended his hand to shake it or some kind of thing, and Washington just looked at him like he was, you know, uh, scum, wouldn't put his hand out and it was one of those things like you know address me as your excellency or some kind of thing it was like you gotta be kidding me uh, 
that was the one probably true it's the most true thing in that whole video <laughs> everything else was all propaganda but that kind of really gave the idea of what they actually thought even though he refused to be a king per se he was still of the mindset that he was way above the general individual on the street and uh, you know that intelligentsia positioning and the, the well-bred and well-born uh, well jim that may know. be taken from something that actually happened in history uh alexander hamilton uh washington was very aloof mm -hmm. uh to most people and uh Alexander Hamilton bet Gouverneur Morris that he would not walk up and put his hand on Washington's shoulder. That might have been it. I've got and, a DVD of that. I'm going to go back and look at it again just to see. <laughs> well, very possibly. I was thinking that is so ranked so similar to an actual event in history. And Gouverneur Morris walks up and puts his hand on Washington's shoulder, and Washington turned around, and uh, you could, I think the uh, proper phrase would be, froze him with a stare. Right, yeah. And then Washington didn't speak to Gouverneur Marsh for at least three weeks after that. <laughs> oh, man. That's what your best buddy does for you, Gouverneur. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, that sounds kind of familiar. I think that might be what it was. But I'll tell you what, it was just... Oof. That seemed like it was the only real part of that whole video now that I think about it. Well, I was thinking also that uh, during the Constitutional Convention in late June, James Madison, when they were talking about uh, they wouldn't be able to keep the small states in if they didn't give them equal representation in at least one house of Congress... James mm -hmm. Madison said, well, let them all go. We don't need them anyway. Yeah, he was probably figuring sooner or later because of the proximity, we're going to be making decisions that they're going to have to follow along with anyway. And right. they won't have and, a voice in it and make it easier for us. And in a letter from uh, Madison to uh, Washington, before the Constitutional Convention, Madison says we should eliminate the state's totally except where they might be subordinately useful <laughs> oh my goodness and it's all out there i mean this is in source documents jim and i'm still amazed at the wonderful yeah. constitutional attorneys and the wall builders who uh, sell dvds by the thousands yeah who who will not touch this subject. <laughs> of course not. It's, it's like the big pharma pushing anything that won't make them more money selling drugs. Same oh, thing. wow, Jim. Well, do we want to branch off on what we've talked about, or do we have any folks in our gallery that would like to chime in? we got lots of folks out there. I don't know if anybody have anything they want to say, but they're welcome to unmute and pop in if they want. And uh, there was something else I wanted to touch base with. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was. One of the things I just got thanks to uh, Greg in the PPN chat room, if I can find it. Uh, again, I've got too many screens open here. But um, we now have the, uh, there it is, before the International Criminal Court. 
a 46-page filing that, um, and this was done by um, uh, Reiner Fulmich over in Germany, um, for violations of the Nuremberg Code, Article 6 of the Rome Statute, Article 7 of the Rome Statute, Article 8 of the Rome Statute, and Article 8 BIS 3, whatever that is, of the Rome Statute, based on extensive claims and a closed documentation we charge those responsible for numerous numerous violations of the Nuremberg Code crimes against humanity war crimes and crimes of aggression in the United Kingdom but not limited to individuals of these in these countries and um, they go down basically they're they we're finally getting stuff um, this is a submission to the prosecutor and I'm trying I guess they're trying to initiate a case in the world court uh, basically Nuremberg 2.0, and um, again, 46 pages dealing with uh, the so-called virus, injections, PCR tests, um, amplification cycles of the tests, and all the, you know, graphene, they call it hydroxide, I've always heard it was graphene oxide, but whatever the case, um, you know, different uh, physicians, like, you know, particular Andreas uh, Nowak, who is, uh, I think, from Germany, uh, put information out, and then shortly thereafter he was attacked and murdered. Um, but all the stuff that's going on now that really, again, it's the same thing. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because people are brain-dead and spoon-fed. They don't have a clue about science. They don't have a clue about theories versus facts, like the germ theory things like that, that they basically fall prey to these schmucks <laughs> like Fauci and Gates and, I honestly believe, Trump, um, who basically are feeding them a line of bull that are putting us in life-threatening situations. And uh, Jim? Yeah. I'm sorry, buddy. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, what I was going to say is let's not forget that second part of Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for mm -hmm. a lack of knowledge, and yep. they have rejected knowledge. Exactly. And because I have rejected, I will reject you, and your children should not be priests to me, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Exactly. It goes on and goes on and goes on. And the, the, the key here is what he's saying is, you know, because you have rejected knowledge, there are ramifications. And we're living those ramifications now. Because even when the knowledge is available, people will not actively seek it out. They would rather stay in their blue pill mentality in the matrix than take the red pill and find out how deep the rabbit hole goes. Literally. And they're addicted to their own destruction. Exactly. Oh, and the voice is with us. Thanks, Brent. And another example of the man keeping us down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's I recorded. That. I've got that on my mixer at my uh, beck and call. Anytime I need Brent, he's always here for me. <laughs> In the middle of the night, I can come up here and push that button, <laughs> and I do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's you know everything that we're going through now is a direct result of what we allowed to happen two hundred years ago. You know, because we let the intelligentsia handle things for us. We delegate authority. 
and we don't take responsibility for our own situations. And it's gotten worse and worse, and that snowball has rolled downhill so far now that it is crushing people. <laughs> and it's very difficult to stop now. But, you know, that's one of the things. The other thing is, is, you know, we had on Monday um, Representative Senator Ron uh, Johnson of, I think, Wisconsin or Minnesota, I can't remember. But um, he had a five and a half hour long uh, hearing on COVID. They call it COVID-19, a second opinion. And, you know, normally in Congress, when they have a hearing, <laughs> that's usually the kiss of death to the truth. But, um, he honestly seems like he's trying to get to the bottom of all this stuff. And he's up on some things, but just totally hoodwinked on others. And they had some really good, uh, testimony from physicians and one really good nurse, um, I watched the whole five and a half hours of it, and um, I just wonder if anything's going to come of it. It'll be interesting to see, because they pretty much pointed out uh, that these uh, the tests are worthless, the face diapers are worthless, the injections are worthless and lethal, and uh, the hospital protocols are guild, you know, designed to kill people, and uh, that the hospitals receive upwards of a hundred and some odd thousand dollars per patient that they get in at one end and take out in a body bag with a death certificate that says COVID. Uh, in some cases, like different states, it's even more. West Virginia is over 400,000. There are several other states the same way, and it's all government funding that's basically um, coercing these hospitals to using uh, lethal protocols designed to kill people. And the same thing's going on in the schools. Schools are getting billions of dollars to basically force people, to children and teachers, to be masked and um, injected. And that's why there's so much going on where the school boards are just ignoring all these parents trying to get something changed. And they just, you know, ignore them and, you know, act like nothing's going on during these hearings. It's because they know they're not going to give up the money to do what's right. Jim, that's not the first meeting like that or whatever you want to call it that oh, no. Johnson he had one about a year ago yeah. and he had one with the vaccine victims and nothing happened even right. with that one yeah and I've, I've played clips of uh, some of those the some of the testimonies on those uh, vaccine victims the guy from uh, was it Arizona I think or New Mexico um, he was there his son his teenage son got the shot and died from it and i mean that was just heart-wrenching it was but, terrible that did yeah. you see the one of the guy with the pilot too he yeah. was just on a small single and and whatever happened to him in flight and managed to land that plane and doesn't even know how yeah he doesn't remember where anything about it and the whole shooting match is like and and not to mention the fact that we've had commercial airliners crash because the pilots you know vapor lock because of these things and, you know, that's not being covered at all in the news. You know, absolute insanity. But, yeah, that's the thing. We have these hearings, but, you know, it's just like you know, I keep saying, it's like the proverbial tree crashing you know, falling over in the woods and nobody's there to hear it. Not one peep out of any of the media. You know, if the folks out here, you know, you, me, the rest of us, if we don't get these things and share them far and wide, there will be no results. 
and whether or not you know he's in the at this point he's in the uh, minority in congress um you can bet even if they might get something through the senate it won't pass the house um because they're all in favor of this stuff it's insane and you know what are we going to do I'm hoping that our truckers in this country do the same thing that truckers are doing up in, in Canada with their um, uh, uh, Freedom Convoy 2022. I hope they're successful. Uh, it's going to spare some real tough times for everyone, both up there and down here, especially if our guys get involved. Because if the truckers stop running, uh, it's going to get ugly real quick. You know, less than three days worth of supplies in the grocery store and the department stores, they're going to be picked over in no time. And the people that haven't been preparing are going to be, especially in the in the cold of winter, uh, it's going to get messy. So that's well, why I've been saying uh, for the last year and a half, stock up. Can, can I uh, throw in a little bit about Definitely. PSYOP theory on this? Definitely, Mike. Okay, a PSYOP is created, and if you create a PSYOP to push your point, you have to interject periods of sanity into it or everyone would catch on to the fraud. So in a PSYOP, you allow these things like these congressional meetings to occur because you know the meetings are going to occur, which gives the people who aren't going along with the program a voice, and they believe that, hey, Something might work out here because we have this, but as you just alluded to, Jim, those of us who have been around the block more than twice know this, these, uh, like these congressional hearings and stuff are for show and that nothing will ever occur from it. I mean, stop and think about, uh, Dan, uh, what was his name? The, uh, guy from, uh, he was attorney general for a while and he did the investigation on Waco. They had a wonderful oh, investigation. Patrick. Yeah, a wonderful investigation on Waco that proved that the federal government killed those people. And, uh, yeah, we had a hearing, but was any action ever taken? Exactly. No. Mm -hmm. So there are you do these and you put them into a PSYOP so that the people out there who are on the periphery of actually waking up and doing something go, oh, well, they told the truth yesterday. This thing will fix itself in a couple of weeks. Let's just hang on. Mm-hmm. And it continues on and on and on and on again. Yeah. You have these hearings. I mean, you know, we had uh, the 9-11 hearings. We had the Warren Commission. <laughs> Did anybody ever go to jail? Nope. It's, it, they're throwing you a bone, uh, or as I uh, said on uh, K-Talk Radio in Salt Lake City, uh, it's a pacifier they let you suck on while they send you to hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, I sit there and watch this stuff and everybody's there, they're giving their testimony and it's all heartfelt and real and what's going to happen? Nothing. And you're right, you know, they have to give people, and that's that's really why I believe we saw a lot of this um, stuff in the EU last week with Britain and several other countries dropping all their mandates. You know, you got to give them a little bit and then they'll roll something else out and then you'll throw in even more restrictions than you had before and they'll say and this is what happens when you let these things down we can't let our guard down anymore you know that right. kind of a deal um, i refer to these things as a pressure relief valve mm -hmm. and kicking the can down the road <laughs> right yeah 
So, so as long as long as people have hope, you know, mm-hmm. and that very elusive hope thing, and let's all remember what Patrick Henry had to say about hope. Remind me, I've heard it, but uh, remind we me. shall listen to the siren song of hope until we are all turned into beasts. It reminds me of something else I wanted to play here, if I can find it. Uh, uh, let me see if I can find this clip here real quick. Um, ah, here we go. Let's see. Yeah, short lesson. Have you seen this Space Age roofing product? Goofy ads they always got to throw in at the beginning. There we go. Here we are. Seneca, why do you think we have a winner? This is from the Hunger Games. What do you mean? I mean, why do we have a winner? Hope. Hope? Hope. It is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine, as long as it's contained. So... So... Contain it. That make uh, your blood curdle. Spot on. <laughs> Spot on. That that's exactly what it is. And you know, in the military, Jim, there is this old saying: "Hope is neither a method nor a force multiplier." Hmm. Good point. And most people do not consider that. But uh, you know, you can hope all you want to going into battle, but it's not a method. You can't use it as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And then it is also not a force multiplier because you hope it doesn't make your army 30,000 instead of two. Nope. Although <clears throat> it can be used as a driving force, so to speak. And... Uh, you know, somebody well, has hope, they're more likely to fight than those who have no hope. Well, Jim, I take Whether the contrary viewpoint. I take the contrary viewpoint. I think if you tell people there's hope, they'll sit on their ass and do nothing, waiting for somebody else to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a fine line. It's a double-edged sword. You're kind of uh, walking a razor edge. You could fall on either side of it. And well, I, Jim... I said uh, months ago, and I still believe this, that Trump was in office from 2017 to 2021 for a reason, and that is because the American public never would have accepted this pandemic bullshit with Hillary as commander-in-chief. Probably not. And all the other junk, you know, same thing. They wouldn't have bought into this Operation Warp Speed and these stupid injections with her either. Nope. They knew that there would have been massive, uh, massive, no, no, no. We know that which she is not going to do anything honest. We know her, and therefore we will not comply. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, if we will remember the Trump campaign in 2016, he said when he was elected, Hillary was going to jail. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where'd that all go? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, of course, then there's all the little rumors floating around that she's really gone and dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I saw, man, I used, to get those, I used to get those emails about her last meal, and then she was hanged at Gitmo and all of this mm-hmm. other stuff. Man, I tell you what. 
there were even a couple of guys on Revolution Radio that pushed that for I don't know how long about, oh, it's just right around the corner. I have it from inside sources that within two weeks, uh, Trump's going to take over, the military's going to take over, and they'll trial these bastards and hang them. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. You're still hearing it. At least I am. Yeah. Yeah. I see, you know, my daddy used to say wish in one hand and poop in the other and see which one fills up first. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, unless and until that turkey takes responsible and admits he screwed the pooch with this Operation Warp Speed, he's got blood on his hands just like Fauci and Gates and all the rest, and he can stand trial with them. Yeah. Well, again, Jim, I do not believe America would have accepted Warp Speed directed by Hillary. Yeah, you're probably right. And, I mean, he's either really evil or really stupid. And according to Dr. David Martin, one of Trump's family members requested Martin's research, which goes back clear to the late 90s, and claims that it was put in Trump's hands. So he can't say that he didn't know. <laughs> uh, well, I think he was, uh, I think Trump was more owned then, uh, you know, and of course, being owned, you can be used. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if they own you, uh, you know, if you consider him an automobile, if they own him, they can drive him wherever they want to and do whatever they want to with him. Yeah. Uh, and that, uh, as I believe, and I said in 2016, I've got the article to prove it, that there was no way in hell anybody who had been associated oh. in the real estate market in, uh, in New, New York. York for any period of time could ever be honest. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta wonder about that. That's for sure. But uh, you know, Jim, I remember, and I was going back looking at some of my articles as I'm posting them on RebelMadman.org, and I would looked at one of my articles back in 2016, and I remember uh, my good friend and I, a uh, preacher back in Colorado, uh, Raymond Boyd. Uh, we used to have breakfast every Tuesday morning. We did that for years. And it was just uh, became kind of like a ritual for us. And we would sit and talk about the world and what have you and the things that were happening. Mm -hmm. And we were there one day and this uh, there was some people there. I, I don't think they were locals. But anyway, they come walking over to our table and they said, uh, look, uh, you know, uh, you guys are supporting Trump, right? And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, they said, well, we have to. You know, we've got to. This is our last chance. This is what we've got to do. You know, uh, and, and, you know. Between he and Hillary, the, he's the lesser of two evils. And I said, sir, the lesser of two evils is still evil. And he said, no, you have to understand, if you vote for the lesser of two evils, evil will go away. <laughs> Can I listen to what you just said? <laughs> me, and the, me and the preacher just stood there and just, just stared at each other for about three minutes. And after he walked off and went away, uh, Raymond looked at me and he said, did he really say that? And I said, yeah. Hey. Go ahead. Can Go ahead, I, Greg or Gary? It's Gary, but uh, you got to remember Trump was bailed out of bankruptcy twice by Wilbur Ross, who at the time was the president or CEO, I don't remember which, of the Rothschilds Bank in New York. And then Trump appointed Wilbur Ross as his uh, Secretary of Commerce. Imagine so, that. Well, well. Uh, I'll tell you right there, all you need to know about Mr. Trump. Yeah. You don't, you don't get held out by the Rothschilds. 
without Owen the Rothschilds. Yeah, well, who mm-hmm. is uh, who is uh, Donald's uh, Trump's son-in-law? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jim. he was a Kabbalist. So, mm-hmm. and uh, the building where their office is, what was the number on that building six, before they changed it? Six, six. <laughs> six, 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 exactly. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So don't forget how he, Trump was allotted in Israel. Uh, he was even put on a plane that was issued over there, I think not once, but twice. Uh, no, just once. Uh, well, guys, uh, to me, the most telling thing that Trump did during the campaign was in a church in Detroit, Michigan, when Mr. Trump said, I am proud and honored to be the candidate of the party of Lincoln, and I intend to take this country back to the principles of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> oh, boy. That's all so I need. Marx, I was done. Marxist socialism? Yes. There you go. Well, it's like <laughs> D.W. and I talked about last, uh, D.W. and I talked last Sunday night. Try to convince the people in the Republican Party in America that their party was started and founded by Marxists. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like message to Garcia. No such luck and he ain't coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and try and convince those thousands and thousands of people that showed up in the Arizona desert a couple of weeks ago that any of this that we're talking about is the real Trump. If I may. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, didn't uh, Shel- didn't Sheldon Adelson bail out Trump also? Yes. Yeah, look up that guy. Well, gentlemen, uh, and uh, thanks for bringing that up. I wrote an article back in 20, 2012, I think it was, that was published in the Jewish Times, an article on Adelson and where the gentleman who wrote it had been present in Vegas. And he said he watched as the Republican candidates came in and groveled at the feet of Adelson. And he published that article in Israel that uh, basically Adelson owned the Republican Party because he owned the candidates. What's the old saying? Put that in your pipe and smoke it for a while. I've got a hypothetical yeah, for you. Well, go ahead, Dave. Um, thank you. Both of Donald Trump's sons, uh, the adults, have girlfriends or fiancés that come from the same persuasion as Adelson. And the one uh, son, I think it's Donald Trump Jr., his girlfriend is Hangem High Newsom's ex-wife. Jeez. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, none of that surprises me, because if you keep track of this for since the uh, 17th century, uh, these people have always intermarried. Mm -hmm. They always keep they keep everything within the family structure. Uh, And that has been a consistent with them because they don't want the power to be diluted in any way, form or fashion. So I also I heard a clip of Donald Trump, um, two clips. One of them, he was saying, yeah, get that shot, get the shot. I got the shot. It's really great. And everybody booed and hissed. Mm-hmm. And then he said in this, the weirdest voice, he sounded like a 
like a like a rabbi and he said yeah you got those freedom you got those freedom and then in another clip he said israel ran america for many years and rightly so yeah. Israel ran America, our Congress. Like in a past and tense. So. <laughs> well, let me ask, let me ask you a question, uh, gentlemen. I found this out in 2010 back in, well, I had known about it, but I really got confirmation of it. 2010, uh, we had a uh, man from the town that I lived in in Colorado run for Congress and win. And he, de- he defeated a uh, liberal Democrat that had been in, uh, in Congress for 16 years. So he runs against him, and then he wins, and I knew personally his representative in our town. I'd got, gotten to know him. He was a Marine Corps veteran. And uh, then suddenly uh, it came down shortly after he had won the election and after he had been sworn in in January of 2011. Suddenly it comes down, and my friend tells me that the congressman, his wife, his members of his family, and members of his staff were being treated to an all-expenses-paid 10-day trip to Israel. <laughs> and I said, what? And he said, yes. And I said, that is unconstitutional. Yeah. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, the Congress has voted that uh, people can do, that Israel can do this, but they're the only country that can so every year the new members elected to congress are taken on an all-expense paid trip with their families and their staff to israel if i may comment on something similar to that um you know the constitution or that that 13th amendment or the fourth whichever one is about the uh, uh titles of nobility it doesn't say that they can't do that. It says it has to be approved by Congress. <laughs> right. Both right. of them said that, the original one and the, the replacement one, right? Yes, the uh, original 13th on titles of nobility that the uh, British uh, uh, conveniently destroyed in almost all places uh, during the War of 1812. Except for the history well, book I've law. got here in my office that yeah, has it in it. <laughs> that's a legal law for them to do that. Simply because yes. it says that District of Columbia, not being a state, is a stand-alone entity of the TriStar uh, World Agreement. Well, here's another question for you guys when, when we stop and think about that. Uh, so much of that is done, uh, you know, through... The Congress and and you know that Thirteenth Amendment and the other stuff, uh, but we had a Congress under the Articles of Confederation that was elected by the people, and the people could uh, and they only served for one year, and they could not serve for three more than three years out of any six to prevent a conglomeration or a unified body that would oppress the people. And the uh, Federalists had to get rid of that. They could not allow that to continue. They could not allow the people to have a say-so and say, oh, no. And they had uh, an immediate recall under the Articles of Confederation. If you were elected 
to the Congress saying, hey, I'm going to do this, that, and the other, and you get down there and do something different, they just send you a note and say, get your butt home, baby. You done lied. Now, do you think, how many members of Congress you think would go along with that today? <laughs> Not many. Maybe getting the keel hauled here quick. Now, so there was uh, the reason, you know, and we're taught uh, so much. I remember being taught. No one told me why, but everyone said, look, the Articles of Confederation were weak. They had to be, they had to be, it had to be done. Uh, they were just weak. And, you know, you're taught that over and over and over again. I was taught that in civics class. I was taught that in high school. I was taught that in college. Well, but, you know, I noticed that no one ever really told me why they were weak. Mm -hmm. But the only way that the article, the, to the only people who thought that the Articles of Confederation were weak were the people who wanted to control government. Bingo. The people didn't think they were weak. And the other thing that was happening was, is that if we go back and look at the Bank of North America, which was created in 1781, and we look at that and look at how many people who were uh, stockholders in that bank who were delegates to the Constitutional Convention. These were people there who had been allowed to become stockholders in the Bank of North America at no expense to them. They had been loaned the money by Robert Morris to buy stock. Then every then they turned around and loaned the money to the United States government, and the United States government had to pay interest on that. So these people at the Constitutional Convention were there to secure an income flow as being stockholders in the Bank of North America. Well, then we get the Constitution. We come up with the United States Bank, and, so, and they uh, authorized the United States Bank for 20 years. Well, when did the uh, Bank of the United States, the first charter, when did that expire, gentlemen? 1812? Oh, my. <laughs> what happened in 1812? A little old war with England. Oh, and then after that, James Madison reinstituted. Th those are those are the little trivialities we uh, cease to uh, give uh, due attention, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Here's my hypothetical now. Whoop it on us. What if, or I should say, which would be better? Trump does come back, gets the military to come in, lock up all these bozos, and he takes office again as the duly elected president from the 2020 election, proving election fraud and all this other junk. Would that be better, you know, just uh, figuring down the road where we're going to end up as a result, or stay with where we are now, have, you know, bumbling Biden in there for as long as it takes them to figure out that he's no good and they, you know, replace him with, you know, camel toe or whoever. From the American people's standpoint, which do you think would be better? I've well, Jim, got my own personal opinions, but yep, go ahead, okay, Mike. Okay, sure. Well, number one, you assume facts, not in evidence, because right. uh, accord, according to our own procedures, that if the election of 2020 was assumed to be fraudulent, there has to be a new election. Trump would not automatically be president. Okay. So then there would have to be a new election. If uh, Here's the thing, is if we say that... Uh, 
Trump comes in and uh, and the military comes in with him uh, to to look at your second part. If that came in and they suddenly arrested these people, uh, would we not have a military dictatorship if the military was involved in electing these people? And how how many people would be? When in history has a, a, a military dictatorship ever been good for the people? Oh yeah, exactly. Now, I'm my my premise on the initial thing is if they can prove that the election was stolen, that Trump actually won, I would think that he should be able to be sworn in as the actual president. You know, and that's what supposedly the they claim the facts show is he was the real winner. You know, yes, there was fraud because the other side stole things and, you know, fudged the the uh, the votes, but the real votes were actually counted and proved that Trump won by a landslide. So I would think in that condition there wouldn't have to be a new election. The elect just the proper election should be upheld. You know, if anything, and I heard this the other day that supposedly I think it was Wisconsin has uh, introduced a bill to rescind their 10 electoral college votes for Biden based on their uh, forensic you know, overview of their election. So if other states did that and just resubmitted and said, this is the deal, we've researched and found that the old ones were wrong and this is the right one, you know, I would think that, he, you know, because I don't think it really says anything in the Constitution because they never expected anything like this to happen, <laughs> I'm sure. But uh, does it really say they'd have to have a new election? Or well, my second point, uh, I'll uh, consider that, certainly. Uh, you have a point. Uh, mm-hmm. My second point is, after what we have said about Trump being owned by the Jews, what makes you think if he came in as an administration citing that uh, the uh shot was good for everybody and everybody ought to take it what makes you think that would be better well i mean i'm not saying we better i'd say which would be better i'm i'm of the opinion at this point that we're almost better off staying where we are because if we get trump back in here more than likely most people are going to go right back to sleep exactly and if we we stay with where we are you know most people are going to be pissed off and decide it's time to fight (laughs) would there be a difference who was that? Was that uh, Greg or Gary? It's Gary. But yeah, sorry. Since since we're talking hypotheticals, uh, well, first of all, let me point out that the election was totally constitutional. The people do not elect the president. The electoral exactly. college does, and there is no law, rule, standard, anything that says the electoral college has to follow the uh, popular vote. Okay, Again, that's first correct. of all. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the second thing, let me, if we're talking hypotheticals, let me run one by you. Uh, there's getting ready to be a Supreme Court. He just announced his uh, pending retirement. Biden appoints Kamala Cameltoe as a new Supreme Court justice. The Democrats, uh, of course, they go right along with it. That opens up the vice presidency. The Senate can approve the, the new vice president, which would be Hillary Clinton. Then Biden has a heart attack, <laughs> and who becomes the president? An Arkansas heart That's attack, just, of course. <laughs> I'm telling you, 
that scenario is not that far off. No, not really. I can could see I could see that happening. Although I haven't officially seen anything from Breyer saying that he was retiring. All I've seen is people telling him to. Did he actually issue a statement saying he was going to retire? Uh, to my knowledge, he did. Okay. Yeah. Yesterday, it's what I understand is he actually said he was retiring. Yeah, and the thing that gets me is, you know, Biden, of course, says that he's only going to consider a black female. Then that's it. That's camel toe. Well, just because you say you're retiring doesn't mean you're retiring tomorrow, though. We're all going to retire someday, right? He said <laughs> no. at the end of this term. Yeah, he has <laughs> to the end of the term. He has to retire before the 2022 elections because that's the only they, chance they'll have. <laughs> they believe that there'll be a big Republican sweep for whatever well, I think that means. I think that's yeah, I, why else would 27 Democratic members of the House of Representatives suddenly decide not to run. Mm-hmm. You're right, Mike. I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. You're throwing another but bone. The scenario of Camilla Harris becoming the next Supreme Court justice, I do not think is too far-fetched. She's very unpopular as vice president. Uh, even worse than Biden is as president. So, no kidding. That would cre- that would uh, solve that Democrat problem. Yeah, it would just they move make that level of incompetence to a place that they can't get rid of her easily. That's right. And then, like I said, the Senate approves the new vice president. There's there's your Hillary, and then use the twenty what amendment or whatever twenty second twenty third amendment to declare twenty fifth. Yeah, to declare Biden incompetent, and Hillary now becomes president of the United States. And Here's so, my question. Let me back let me, this up with one, one other okay, thing, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. I want, to stress, I want to stress the fact that Biden was elected constitutionally. This stuff about his the fraud vote, all that is false. That's just right. more false propaganda. There was no, I mean, yeah, there may have been fraud. We may be able to prove it, but it doesn't matter a hill of beans because the electoral college appoints the president period bottom line but look at it from this standpoint generally speaking in the past the electoral college has gone with the popular vote for the most part uh, and they went the way they did because the popular vote was skewed by the democrats screwing with it so granted you're right but the reasoning behind that vote being the way it went is because they screwed with the popular vote Okay, here's here's my point, guys. Uh, being polarized as we are right now, what do you think the American right, if there is such a thing, what would they do if suddenly they had uh, Kamala Harris on the Supreme Court and Hillary Clinton as vice president? Do you really think the people would sit on their butts and allow that? If they did, they deserve everything they get as a result. Amen. But do you think if... Here's the thing, I would hope Jim. not. <laughs> I would say if that happened, if it happened, the scenario that was presented, if that were to happen and the American right did not revolt, it was over a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. If I may. Sure, Dave. 
Thanks. I, I'd like to ask a question about that electoral college. Isn't there something that where did the term qualified elector come from? Wasn't that supposed to be, you know, the the way that you cast a ballot before they had registered voters and that, you know, you had to be a property owner in the county that you were casting a ballot in and all that so you couldn't sway the votes just as a, you know, a migrant coming through or whatever, transient. And they said, I, I've heard that a qualified elector, once you became a, a public servant, you could not be a qualified elector for at least one year after you left office. These, this, this freaking electoral college these are all elected. They're all they're all in office. That's who's voting for the damn president. That I dude, you know, you guys know who Kwame Kilpatrick was or is, the ex mayor of Detroit. That freaking thug criminal. He was on the electoral college that voted. Um, uh, I can't remember who who. Obama. When Obama was elected, I saw Kwame Kilpatrick was a elected was a qualified elector on the Electoral College, and he was the mayor of Detroit. How does they How do they do that? They can't do that, can they? Am I wrong? Well, I, uh, I think you're correct. But one of the things I know is not all of them are like that because I knew three uh, uh, qualified electors in the state of Arkansas, and none of them held public office. Okay. But, but if, I, if I may, you, I mean, that, there are people like Kwame Kilpatrick that, are, that were in there. I don't know about now. That was the only time I ever really saw anything like that, but it, don't, it would not surprise me an inkling if that was the case in every election that we had these public freaking criminal servants as qualified electors in the electoral college. So well, can I somebody ask? need to do some research on that because that could overturn every freaking election we've ever had since we've had this electoral college. I'll yield there, thanks. Oh, you can't overturn can an election when the government owns the courts. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah, Gary. I know that. Gary. God, I keep thinking Greg. I don't know where that's coming from. Go ahead, Gary. I don't from either Jim. <laughs> I got something stuck in my head from somewhere. I don't know what. Well, the, uh, for the gentleman from Michigan, he needs to look at the 1993 Voter Motor Registration Act. That's what took away the political rights of U.S. citizens. And also, if you think about it, when is a, a king ever allowed a slave to pick who the master is going to be? And we also we all know, according to the Supreme Court, that U.S. citizens have no political rights. Mm -hmm. So under the Fourteenth Amendment, and Mike, I know the argument about it wasn't ratified or anything, everything else, but the fact is they've used it for everything for the last hundred and fifty years. So it's there. Oh yeah, it's there, but it uh, you know you can't create a legal uh, a legal. Uh, well, what, what's the word I'm trying to think? You can't create a legal document out of an illegal act, which means our Constitution is null and void. Well, there's and a statute that says so. Pardon me? There's a statute that 
verifies just what you are considering or questioning is to be illegal. As far as Congress can, 85% of decisions are said to be made without even having to hardly vote because it's not a public decision. Well, I, where is that? Where is that written? I will try to find it because I have read it within probably the last three weeks. That is that is that a court decision? Uh, I can't say for sure what it is. Basically, do do you agree that when you refer to the United States, it has a context of the D.C. Or it has a context of the 50 states, and it never identifies in the statutes for sure, but that's the context meant. And so you had to read between the lines on the statutes. Well, when it comes to the United States, 28 U.S.C. 3215A covers that. It stipulates that the United States is a corporation. Well, yeah, it is a corporation. That's true. But of the 50 states, they're constitutional. But when it comes to D.C. state of, they are not constitutional and they can do what they want to within their bounds. And they make all kinds of decisions that they say are not public and we'll do what we want to. Well, they did that starting with the Constitution. Why else do you think it was uh, secret proceedings and no one would talk about it for 50 years? I'm not I don't quite understand the question. Well, the Constitutional Convention was in secret. And the law of the land was the Articles of Confederation, which were totally violated. And the members of the Constitutional Convention signed a pact and an agreement that they would not discuss what happened there for 50 years. Yeah, well, I wouldn't argue with that uh, secrecy going on. I'm just saying they do what they want to, and we, the ignorant public, don't have a clue. Well, I agree with that. There is the problem. <laughs> especially, you know, we go back to uh, Hosea 4-6 there, Jim. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's well, becoming hey. my life verse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a saying in poker: you got to deal the, you got to play the hand you're dealt with. And unfortunately, we've been dealt with a fraudulent document called the Constitution, which I totally agree with you, Mike. We've also been the unconstitutional Fourteenth Amendment, which I totally agree with you. However, those are the hand that we have to abide with and deal with right now in today's present reality. Well, if you accept a sin, does that make it legal? Mike, I didn't say nothing about being legal or illegal. I just said that's the hand we got to deal with right now. Well, I understand that, but uh, I, I can't see taking something that is illegal and saying we have to accept it as legal because they told us it was. It's not Once that we accept it as legal. It's the fact well, that the government courts accept it as legal, especially the 14th Amendment. Well, and, and, the, we people, know, and the people have been know, accepting that for how many years? Well, I don't not a, under the Fourteenth Amendment anymore. So there is a remedy. I never, I never was because the Fourteenth Amendment doesn't exist in my mind. It's illegal. Uh, it, suddenly, it's could the Supreme of. Court could the Supreme Court and say, "Okay, well, we got an amendment we didn't know about 
that makes all of you people our serfs and we have all your property, so shut up and sit down. Well, that's what the 14th does. Exactly. That was my point. <laughs> if I may. <laughs> Go ahead, Dave. So yesterday, Roger said on uh, RBN or the other day, R plus D equals R. Rights plus duties equals remedies. Responsibility. Doesn't it say in the in the uh, Declaration of Independence, it is our right, it is our duty to throw off a criminal freaking government. That's the remedy, right? Exactly, except for the fact that the U.S. government has passed a, a 18 U.S.C. 2383 that says you are a felon if you try to do that. Yeah, but that law is unconstitutional. Exactly. <laughs> right. They also passed a law that says they can do insider trading because they're the government. <laughs> and they, who's they the government? A bunch of freaking minions. The government is a corporation, and, and then their minions, they all think they are the government. They're just a bunch of freaking idiots that are minions, public servants, and we need to kick their freaking asses. I yield. <laughs> well, that's the same thought that they have about us. Yep. <sighs> Question is, who's bigger and who has more guns? We do. That's what it comes down to. And we got to get to the point where we decide whether we're going to be men or mice. But well, while we're thinking is... that, uh, Mike, I want to give you a chance to get your websites, even though you mentioned them a few times here, but get them out there along with the radio shows you got coming up. <laughs> And uh, we want to get that in before we run out of time. Okay. Uh, tomorrow uh, will be uh, Dare to Think Out Loud on Revolution Radio at 12 noon Eastern. And uh, my friend Cal and I will be uh, delving into uh, much of what we've been talking about today. On uh, Sunday afternoon or evening at 6 p.m. Eastern, DW and I will be uh, talking with our good friend Blackbird9 who is also a former NSA operative, and we will be talking, and the question is, what exactly are your unalienable rights? That is the Sunday program. And uh, so then we will uh, move, uh, I have uh, the three channels on Telegram, uh, Constitutional Fraud, Rebel Madman, and Teach Me True History, and we've started a question and answer live, question and answer period on uh Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern for any of those who might be interested. Our friend Robert Hudson dropped in on that this past week. I hope he enjoyed it. And my, uh, and my website is rebelmadman.org, and I'm trying to get all my articles up there, and eventually I'm going to have rebelmadman.com, which will be just show notes from each one of these programs to the documents that I mentioned so that people will have access to them. That reminds me, I need to change the links on my website so they go to the right places. That'll be good. So. And I, I would uh, like for Daryl and Michael on their um, their uh, Revolution Radio show to to cover that case, uh, Barron versus Baltimore, because there's only two ways I read that thing. Either the 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 Bill of Rights didn't have any effect on the states according to the Supreme Court, just the federal government, or you'd have to say the Constitution has no effect on the states, just the federal government. I don't think and, you can have it both ways. And let's not forget the name of that radio show on Revolution Radio, <laughs> Addicted to Your Own Destruction. 
<laughs> Thank you, Brent. I knew he was going to do that. <laughs> Appreciate that. And uh, that, uh, uh, yes. Uh, but uh, here's the thing is, what is the first three words of the First Amendment? Uh, Congress will make no law. Five, the first five words. Hmm. Congress will make no law. Congress. Okay, now, does that only pertain to the First Amendment or to all ten? I would, you know, being a strict constructionist, it was written for number one. Oh, and so you the would fact say that the Congress, that the, you know, the, the, the Bill of Rights is part of the Constitution, supposedly, and the Constitution says that this shall be the supreme law of the land, only Article One specifies that Congress shall make no law about religion, but the rest is open to everybody. That's so the way I read that, it. You're, so you're saying that it is legal for Congress to make laws uh, in, uh, that uh, control our right to own firearms? No, what I'm saying is shall not be infringed applies to Congress and the states. I think that case, Barron versus Baltimore, supports your feeling, Michael, that uh, the Federalist had absolute contempt for the Bill of Rights and everything else. They were just trying to get rid of it all. Well, if you read the letters between them, uh, especially between Richard Henry Lee, William Grayson, and uh, uh, also uh, Patrick Henry, and to think that Robert Morris wrote to Francis Hopkinson that if they pass the right amendment here in this first Congress, I will hang. Mm -hmm. That that's pretty that's pretty explicit. Yeah, boy. But yeah, that's another show. <laughs> and uh, Murr, thank you, appreciate it. Um, this has been a good one. A lot of good uh, things brought up and. Uh, Gary, I apologize. I don't know where Greg came from. <laughs> it keeps getting stuck in my head, but I think we got it straightened out. By the way, how's uh, how's Alex doing? Is he uh, back on track and everything going good now? Yeah, he's back to being a snot-nosed 20-something-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I got a snot-nosed 38-year-old, uh, so I know the feeling. <laughs> it is what it is. They're always your kids, right? But yes, they are. We, we appreciate you asking, Jim. That's very nice of you. No problem. Like I said, I've been praying for you guys, and it just every once in a while I like to hear how things are going. I'm still bummed out about, uh, um, goodness gracious, uh, Leon, but uh kind of makes me wonder what we could have done, if anything. Too late now, though. Yeah, did he pass away? I never heard. Yeah, that's uh, John Casareb uh, has... Um, contact with his daughter and she mentioned that he was he was at home at least they got him home from the hospital and he was surrounded by friends and family but he passed away i think it was the 23rd of december if i remember right um and uh, i never did get a response to the text messages that i'd sent him uh, after that last one saying that his uh you know he was saying his goodbyes basically and apparently he was you know had that feeling, I guess, you know, and somehow or another people seem to have that feeling when it's coming along. But, um, yeah, it is, it, he, he did pass away, but, um, you know, 
John has talked with his daughter about it a little bit, and they're still not positive about everything that took place and how and all that kind of stuff. But uh, that being said, we are out of time for today, and I just wanted to thank everybody for being here. And uh, you know, we will be back live on Tuesday, or Monday, excuse me, <laughs> rain freeze. But thanks to everybody. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you being here again. And uh, y'all take uh, care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live. And enjoy your weekend. And we'll see you on Monday. Take care and God bless.